this is another episode of On the Line. My name is Christina Kay. I'm here with Joe Mullings and Paula Rutledge and Josh Hutchin. So Paula and Josh are in-studio guests today, but they're sort of like a professional career family, um, both unbelievable search consultants, talent acquisition masters, in particular in the medtech industry. I'm not going to try and read their resume, but I'll let them share with each of you um, their backgrounds in search and talent acquisition. Paula, would you uh, lead us in with your amazing background and body of work in med tech and recruiting? Sure. So I started out with Johnson & Johnson, uh, worked there for a number of years, had a great time. I went to work for Synthes, the orthopedic company, and then finally for a startup, SpineTech, that was acquired by Zimmer before going to the dark side and becoming a recruiter in 2005. For those that don't know or follow MedTech, those are, that's like murderer's row <laughs> as far as employers. So that's really cool. Josh, how about you? Uh, started in the medical space uh, right out of school back in 1997. Worked for a diagnostic microbiology company as a regional sales manager for the Southeast. Uh, left them after a couple of years of learning the space. Uh, went to start a dot-com up in Research Triangle Park. And in 2001, jumped into the recruiting game and launched uh, Artillery Sales back in 2001 and have been in ever since. And the name of your firm, so our listeners can look it up? Floodgate Medical. Like right out of Tampa, Tampa, Florida. <clears throat> and Paul, I think you mentioned legacy, right? Exactly. Legacy right. med search. Right. So, um, and I have no medical advice experience and I just became a big, dirty recruiter. So. <laughs> and that tap dancing career didn't take That's off, right. right. That's right. That's right. It was, it was, it wasn't that, uh, welcome in Dayton, Ohio for some reason. So, you know, I, I thought what we could chat about today was, um, like the state of talent acquisition and careers and what you're seeing trends are and what should people keep in mind as they try and grow their career and even more importantly look for a new job and what should they keep their eyes peeled for what are some of the mistakes they make you know jump in josh what 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 do you see i'm seeing more probably in the last couple of years and in the previous 13 or 14 years uh, high level executives that thought that they would retire with their uh, most recent employer that are found themselves on the market quite frankly have really never recruited, have never been on that side of the desk where they've had to go out and find a job. And uh, they've always been tapped on the shoulder, recruited away, from, promoted from within. And all of a sudden, they're finding themselves on the market due to an acquisition or downsizing of their employer and certainly looking for some advice on how to navigate that very critical step in their career transition strategy. And they're usually lousy online with all the tactics and deployment, and they're not even active on LinkedIn a lot of times, I see. Yeah, they've never, they've never had a need to, really. Uh, most of these folks, uh, especially the higher levels, have literally always been recruited away at, or pulled away from an, from an opportunity they were working on to do something else. And a lot of them have been in, with one or two companies all their, all their life. So they've interviewed hundreds and hundreds of times candidates for their positions, but have never really interviewed themselves for a position. So it's a foreign spot for a lot of these folks. Hmm. A, a, lot, a lot of times they don't have a relationship with someone like us that can really help steer them. And I think at a time to really develop a relationship with a select group of recruiters that you know and trust is well before you need one. Yeah. And, and again, people tend to um, look for something shortly after they need it 
and that's a great point is we talk about that all the time is you need to network and collaborate when you don't need it because then when you call on it it sounds incredibly desperate so you know that that i think is important so what are the ways that people can stay in the queue and network and add value so when they do need to pull the trigger or be reactive what, what are some of the things we could share I think one thing that everyone should do, regardless of the level, is really be open to networking for people that are in their network. So, for instance, if I call up and I say, hey, Josh, I've got this great VP of sales search and you're not in the market, one thing that's a real important thing to do is to help opening up to people that might be in the market. Because as recruiters, naturally, we want to help people that help provide us good resources. So I think one thing is giving back and paying it forward before you're the one in the seat that's needing someone to to reach out to you. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and, and give, 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 give. So when you do have to ask, people are lined up. Because if all you're doing is taking and asking, people are like, eh, yeah, let me get back to you. But I'd rather have that reciprocity card in my back pocket than have to be begging. H how do you give counsel or guidance on somebody who was let go? Wrong place, wrong time. I know you do a lot of executive coaching on that. Yeah, it's 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 often hard to to start with zero momentum, uh, but you got to start somewhere. So ideally, the folks uh, that that we meet with have already generated some momentum around, uh, quite frankly, their social footprint, uh, their networking uh, strategy, and they're diligent and and forward thinking about those couple of areas. And many of the folks, again, that are being displaced or or let go or severed. Um, don't have a whole lot of experience with this and they haven't been taught how to do that. So be patient, but be diligent, be consistent and, uh, and be forward thinking. It's not an overnight deal. Paula, what have you seen as far as, um, in the last five, 10 years, how do people shop for a job? What's different today than it was 10 years ago? I think two things. I think the candidates have changed. I think we've changed, those of us at the top of the game in terms of uh, recruiting. And I think if a candidate is just calling us when they need to hire or they need a job, they're really losing a big part of what we have to offer, which is we're knowledge brokers. So we do know what's going on. We're talking to between you know, 20 and 80 people a day, depending on the level. And I love it when somebody calls me and says, hey, Paula, what's, what's going on in robotics or orthopedics or cardiovascular? What are you seeing? So I think really not using the full complement of talents that the three of us and other companies have is really short-sighted yourself towards the future. When did it become cool to have your resume out in the public domain and not get in trouble? <laughs> Does anybody know? Because I've been thinking through that hard. So I remember Monster, where the only resumes were unemployed. Or if you posted a resume, you were going down to the principal's office and explaining... Lucy, you got some explaining to do, right? So when did it happen? Does anybody remember? I think just everyone is so, uh, particularly millennials who we love, uh, millennials are just so open with their digital footprint now. So I think that that's really driving a lot of it. But you know what? Like the, the VPs of sales, marketing, R&D. It's like, it's cool to have your resume online. I don't get that. How did they get away? I love it, by the way. Makes it easy for us. Right? And it makes it easy for them. To your, and Josh's point is, Man, use that footprint. Don't polish up your LinkedIn profile when you need it. Right. Do it way before and get on Josh's and Paula's radar screen. So you're getting a call a month on a gig and you're like, thanks, but no thanks. But thanks for thinking of me. Can we stay connected? Because I know the wheel's going to come off this car eventually. 
But I think one of the things we were talking about earlier in our meeting is really trying to develop a relationship with people and knowing, gosh, I'm not going to call Joe for a job that I know this doesn't fit his criteria. And really having those conversations with a select group of qualified in-the-know recruiters is really going to make a difference rather than having your open job hunter uh, profile on LinkedIn. Yeah. And again, to your point, it's a preemptive move. Yeah. Right. And and again, pick like, and it's cool. We don't care if you have 10 of us. Right. I don't. If, if you get popped, you put a call into me and I'm like, hey, Bob, you know, that's terrible. Um, and thanks for calling. I'm sorry that happened. And Bob's called me four times in the last year. So he stayed on top of his game. I'd be like, I don't have anything for you, but tell you what, you know, I got two or three peers that I need to hook you up with. Right. Or try this. But I'll be a lot more generous to Bob um, if he has spent some time investing in the relationship. Do you guys spend time, even though you know it's a a lost lead, of coaching people, telling them what to do, reviewing their LinkedIn profile, giving them guidance, give them homework? Do you spend time doing that? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's important that it's a give-take relationship. So, you know, I do a lot of giving, but I also have an ask. Okay, you know, gee, here's five things you can do. We need to tweak your resume. Here's somebody I could, you know, potentially present your information to. What are you hearing? It's got to be two ways. Can't be just a one-way communication. Yeah, Josh, that's a good point, Paula. Uh, all relationships are two-way. All successful, sustainable relationships are are give take, and the, typically, the more you give, uh, the more you get back. So, we always look at our relationships uh, with our candidates that exact same way. Uh, not what can I get from this person, but what can I give? Uh, and the receiving always comes back. So we, we spend a ton of time with candidates that are in that state of their career where they're transitioning. And this particular move uh, appears to be a little bit more important than it has in the past because of the transient nature of, of candidates and because of the lack of loyalty, especially with the larger companies that they have in their employee base. It just seems so normal now. It's almost the new norm. That, that someone's going to stay with a company five, seven years max, when 10 years ago, it was 15, 20 years, 25 years, 30 years even, and you just do not see that anymore. So I think we're, we're, we're facing a new norm in our industry in terms of loyalty and tenure and different things. And I think in, in some ways that's good because companies get fresh blood, they get new perspective, they have to change. The industry is changing so quickly that if they stayed with the same business model for 30 years, they're probably going to get passed by. So board members, senior leaders are recognizing the importance of staying fresh, uh, but they're also they're also a whole lot less loyal than they used to be. But what about we were talking last night? What if somebody's been with the same company for twenty years? Is that a positive or a negative? I think it depends on the path they took, right? So if I if I backtrack on the CV on the resume, and I see promotion, 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 OUS gig, you know, in Europe, and then back here, that makes a lot of sense, right? It's a liability because then you just have the same. Groupthink, if you've been in ABC company, you just know the ABC way, no matter how many roles you've had. So that is a liability to a future employer. So our, our, our listener base is also recent grads and those that are two, three, four years out. So I don't want to index toward the super uh, experienced exec. What guidance could we give towards new grads and what should they be doing to find that first gig? And should they sit in that gig for a year, two years, three years, or should they move around a couple times beforehand? 
You know, I, I go both ways. I think that certainly someone that sticks out the first three or four years shows that stick to itiveness. That's a good sign. By the same token, they need to be really sure what the next step looks like. I, you know, I, I kind of give anyone a buy their first five years out of school because, you know, you don't really know what it is you want to do. But I think at that point, you need to have a deliberate path and work towards that direction, realizing you might vector out to a different area. But people that are just kind of willy-nilly, I'm, you know, just... I'm open for anything. I want to know somebody has thought it through, and there's some really good resources out there for folks to, to make sure that they are taking the next progressive job for them. And finally, if they don't have a mentor, by gosh, they need to find mm, themselves a mentor, not just within their chosen profession, but someone in the career field that could kind of help them with the next steps. I love getting calls from people saying, hey, should I take this step with a new company or stay where I am? And I'll give them my opinion for what it's worth, but it needs to be a, a thought process and not an impulse. Yeah, that's a really good point, Josh. What do you think about the the, the younger crew? Yeah, it's it's important to make uh, good decisions early. Uh, I think uh, more than just what someone's done in terms of making a move, the the savvier hiring managers are looking at why you made that decision and how you made that decision. What evidence did you use? What data points did you use? What influenced your decision and what was your decision process to get to that outcome? Because they want to know when you're working for them, how are you going to make decisions and are you going to be a liability on my team or are you going to be an asset? And then from a future leadership standpoint, can I groom this person that makes great decisions to take my place so then I can move up? So I think it's important to, to have a mentor, to be thoughtful, forward thinking, to make sure that the decisions you make are made with good evidence and it's not so much, do you go pharma, do you go device, do you go surgical, non-surgical? It's why. And then, of course, having a little bit of a strategy. And there are a lot of tools out there, as you said, Paula, that help folks at that stage in their life kind of game plan and, 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 and understand what is it going to look like between now and 10 years from now. And then make sure that you absolutely overachieve in every single position that you're in. So whatever it takes find out what it's going to what it what it looks like to be in the top 5 10% and be unconditionally committed to get there and then make a decision. So calling cards, <clears throat> i.e. the resume. The silliest thing you see on resumes. Paula? Hobbies that don't have any correlation to I've seen some skydiving I don't want to see in my director of quality or regulatory. So that would be <laughs> one. <laughs> and and of course in Europe it's different than it is in the US. But um, you know, people that, that put their pictures, in most cases, uh, in North America-based, it's just not the norm yet. Yeah, and, and, and crazy fonts, too. Yeah. Don't, don't get and graphic colors. on your resume, don't, unless you're in the graphic arts business, right? Josh, like silly things you see on CVs. Uh, it's more fluff than, than it is silly. Uh, the, the, the detail that's, that's outlined in a cover letter is often uh, comedy. Uh, for we, should we even read. use cover letters? Uh, probably not. No, we don't. We, <laughs> most of them aren't read. Uh, but just get to the get to the facts. I think the the resume is just a shoehorn to a conversation. So be as as succinct as you can, as honest as you can, as detailed as you can, without a whole bunch of fluff buzzwords that you think will attract uh, uh, an audience to your your bio. Objective on a resume: liability or asset? For me, it's a liability. How come? Because. I want to know what their career path is during the conversation. And if it's not exactly what my client is looking for, they're going to probably be a misfit for that particular resume. 
Josh, thoughts? Neutral. Neutral. Uh, You're neutral. Absolutely. uh, Don't pay them any attention because typically uh, it's something that's not as relevant to our conversation as, uh, as, as it should be. So neutral. Guidance if they're not using a headhunter on the objective. Should they have it on their resume if they're sending it into um, ABC company? Uh, that's a good question. I would probably encourage my candidates to uh, have something in the body of an email that's more personal and intimate to their audience, something about that company or that individual or that product line that's relevant and points back to their interest and their background rather than just something on the top of a resume. See, we recommend that people customize if it's a job they truly want. First of all, they've They've uh, researched the company. And second of all, they have customized their resume. And I think one thing that you were talking about, words that don't matter, we call them white noise. Uh, we see you know, all these big superlative words that don't matter. I'd rather see the specific. If you sold or if you marketed cannulated screws, I'd rather know that than you're a passionate, driven professional. The white noise words can just go away from me in lieu of something that's searchable because when we're looking in the databases, all of us, uh, we're looking for specific products, terms, FDA classification, territories, call points, much more than the... Well, that white noise, as you say, Paula, is is oftentimes a distractor from the the real uh, nuts and bolts of someone's background. And you can actually do yourself a disservice by adding all that in because the audience subconsciously starts to distrust you the writer of that bio because you can't be all those things with four years experience so (laughs) so to have them in there and not be able to back it up and oftentimes will take away from the the whole purpose of it which is just to obtain an audience in person or over the phone so the resume is not going to win you the job but it can absolutely be the reason why you don't get an interview yeah so education top of the resume or bottom of the resume new grad top anybody with more than five years at the bottom. And by the way, if you went gone to a uh, three-hour course at Harvard, don't put don't Harvard. Put that, <laughs> don't oh my put God, I just had resume. this discussion the other day. I'm going through LinkedIn and I'm like, oh, this VP of sales. And it says um, Harvard University, you know, underneath his name and his picture. I'm like, cool. And I go to the bottom and he like went to what's the matter you yeah. and, and, and opens up for Iowa. I was just I'm like, well, why would you do that? <laughs> Everybody's going to call you on that. Exactly. Education top or bottom? Uh, I'd, I'd say at the bottom as well. And I like a little bit more color. This is one of those areas that I would say more color is better. If you've self-financed your whole education, I think important. that's absolutely important to both us as uh, uh, recruiters and uh, to the audience and other things like that, other things that you've been super involved in, maybe led, started, developed uh, in college, I think uh, goes a long way to, to create uh, talking points and discussion points uh, with your audience. A couple well, prickly ones here. Um, you can go either way. Your thoughts on somebody who graduated at least 15 years ago and they put their high school on there and their college. Unless they went to Eaton or some real prestigious high school. Yes, one of those, then I I just don't think it matters. Right? No. And then how about an associate's degree? um, And then you went on and got a bachelor's and a master's. And again, 15 years ago. Absolutely not. Leave it off. And take me through the psyche on that. Again, all mad respect to all the listeners who are just turning red right now who got their associates because it was a financial reason or a family situation or something like that. Mad respect. But I'd put the AAS on there because I want to tell the story of dealing with adversity and I had to. But I will let you know that I'm biased and my clients are biased when they see an associates and then they see a bachelor's, they immediately index to e. 
I would agree. And, it, you know, it's not a judgment call on whether it's a good education or not. It's just that's how our clients perceive. It's a conversation we need to have with them that we wouldn't have if they just put their their bachelor's or their master's degree. I think it's it's a, it's it goes back to my earlier point. Does it help or can it hurt? Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, the conversation is going to come up about your perseverance, stick to and grit in the interview process. And so leave it off. Have that discussion when you're walking someone through your background, but you don't need to have it on your resume. Mm, that's a really, really solid point right there. Um, that Yeah, hey, by the way, you see I have a bachelor's. I actually had an associate's first. Um, my so-and-so had an issue. I had to take time off, but I didn't want to stop my education. Well, you're hoping. We always advise our, our candidates to be ready for the questions that will come up. And the question that's going to come up is always going to be about motive. And they're probably going to ask you, tell me about a time when blank. Right. And that's the best opportunity to pull something in that they haven't seen yet, haven't known about yet, that you can provide to them to get them excited about your candidacy and your background that's not already on the resume. As a woman, can I ask this? I, I get sometimes females that will call me up and say, hey, I took six years off to raise a family. How do I cover that in a resume? I know what I tell them, but I'd be curious to hear what you two think. Um, I absolutely um, put in there, um, you know, whether I put in there domestic goddess, um, seriously, or, you know, caregiver or that, what that was for, but I took that time off and um, I don't think I'd flush it out too much. I would just say, you know, from 94 to 2000, I took time off um, to raise my family or whatever it was. Absolutely. I think it's a tremendous, tremendous talking point. And the older I get, the more amazing females are in regards to what they're absolutely able to accomplish with or without a career. And then they had the, gosh, the the audacity to come back to the game and expect to get back on their A game. And that's just huge mad props. That's my take on it. For for any of those sabbatical type breaks, uh, I always tend to err on the side of being really, really proud of what you've done, assuming there's something to be proud of. And raising a family is absolutely something to be very proud of, whether you're the, you're the dad or the mom, or if you had to take care of parents. And nowadays, especially in our ages, our, our parents are aging. That's a real life priority. That's a real part of, of, of needing to take a break. I'm all about being proud of that. It's the gaps that you aren't maybe so proud of that uh, need to be covered up. So the, um, the people who get, so again, more do's and don'ts, right? Um, so you went off and got an MBA. Do you put, you know, Joe Mullings, MBA at the top of your resume. You know how some people love alphabet soup. PhD, I'm okay with, but I'm curious on your your, your thoughts on other alphabet soup following the name. Categorically speaking, I don't like a whole bunch of um, letters after a name. I think your your name and your reputation and what you stand for as a person should speak for itself and the background should support that. Uh, MBA is part of your education, not your name. So I would put it down where the education is, not where your name is. So personal personal opinion, but um, I'd probably say put it down near the education and be proud of it down there. And I'm, I'm the same way. I'm, I can go either way on that. I like it for a research standpoint, because when I research it, you're looking at folks, it's going to be obviously the placement of the words. So, you know, I, I could go either way on that. Got it. And then what should the header look like on a resume? How complicated or clean should it be? Do you put geography on there? Do you put the town and the state? Do you just put your name, your email and your mobile? And do you put your home number anymore? Does anyone have a home number anymore? (laughs) Uh, I'd say uh, predict the questions that your audience will have 
and answer those questions in advance. So uh, if you're being advanced, they're going to want to know, obviously, your name, where you live, uh, your email and your cell phone number, your preferred number, whatever that might be. So I like to have all that up there. Uh, a lot of times now we get LinkedIn profile links right on the resume, which I like. I would say that's a time saver. And again, your audience will want to have a good and convenient experience when assessing your background. Anything you can do to make their job easier and putting you in the yes pile versus the no and maybe is what you want. So I would say name, email, phone, address, LinkedIn profile, and be done with it. I would add, I like seeing open to relocation because if somebody is in Warsaw, Indiana, the jobs in San Francisco, one might make the assumption, particularly if they went to school in the Midwest, that they're not open. So I like seeing open to relocation and small italics at the top as well. That's really brilliant. Everybody needs to jot that one down. Um, you can always say no. Yep. Right? So open to relocation, even if you have no intention of relocating. I really like that a lot. Uh, Joe, in terms of giving your audience a little bit more information, it's probably more relevant when you're communicating with a recruiter rather than an employer, but help them understand your summary, your goals. So what are your geographical preferences? What are your relocation preferences, your travel tolerance? What is your, what are some of the things that can help them identify and visualize the perfect position for you? The more they don't have to guess or remember, because what's, what's going to happen is you're going to tell them all of these things that are important to you and they're going to forget those. But if they see them and they tell it to them, now you've got two forms of reinforcement, it's much more likely they'll be able to picture you in a perfect position if you give them that summary in advance. I love seeing profiles attached. And I think I'm, I'm seeing more and more of that. There's certainly on you know a lot of our websites we have, you know, tell me, tell me what it is you're looking for in a job. I want to know what size company, what corporate environment, how many people do they manage, do they like managing, where will they go, what clinical focus areas do they feel like they are, are strongest in, what do they have a personal interest in. I love seeing profiles attached because it saves a whole lot of the checkbox questions so we can get to the more substantive part of the, the interview. Mm. And then the hot potato legally these days, and I think also strategically, the salary thing came up, right? So California... Shocker, um, has made it illegal. Right, Massachusetts. <laughs> Shocker. Shocker. Um, I've got my view in the public domain on it, and I'll share it after each of you. But thoughts, Paula, what do you think about the salary guidance <laughs> that we're getting? Well, without letting my politics show, I, I don't know how I can help somebody without knowing what they're looking for. So the way we are, we are asking it in most states now is, are you comfortable sharing your desired salary range? And I think that gives them the opportunity to say no. It's not punitive necessarily if uh, they don't. But if somebody's making $250,000 and my job's paying one hundred and forty, dollars that's, that's going to be a non-starter in most circumstances. And a lot of people now are saying, hey, I know you can't legally ask me, but this is what I make. This is my bonus. This is what I'm looking for. So if you know the person's number, um, do you think you can help them negotiate a better deal? Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. Why? Knowledge is power. Yeah, but give me an idea tactically. So, you know, you're, you're a rock star in, in finding people jobs around the world. Give me what that number means to you and then how you use that on their behalf with the client. So put, putting it in real time. So, Joe, you're making, you know, $6 million a year. Um, and I know that the, <laughs> the pay range it. for the job that I want to talk to you about is only, only five. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put together a compelling story with your current compensation to get you something that would get your attention. Are you okay with that? Sure. Um, 
But what if I didn't want to tell you I'm making six mil? Then you're going to give me one less uh, one less resource to be able to negotiate that salary on your behalf. But if Paul, they should be paying me for what the job is worth and what my background is. Yeah, but that's not the way it works, Joe. Yeah, I know. Somebody so, call know. Massachusetts in California, <laughs> please. Yeah, I, I think it's really going to hurt. And of course, I know a lot of it was geared at uh, at parity with with women. Um, but I also think that it's going to really hurt people because if you don't have you know if you don't have the if you don't have a dartboard, you got a bunch of great darts in your hand. You don't know what you're shooting at. So I, I think Very certainly true. a range of desired range would be the minimal that would be uh, what I would need to negotiate a, a package that made sense. So, Josh, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, similar. I, I think the spirit of the law is in the right place mm -hmm. and that they're they're uh, clearly um, trying to level the playing field between uh, males and females in terms of pay ranges. However, I do think it's going to hurt those that have good intentions by not sharing their income. Because uh, the reality is uh, positions, skills, backgrounds are built based on a comp uh, model that is often exceeded because the recruiter or the candidate is well above that range. And so when that, that job description and comp is approved, it's typically approved for a lower level individual. Uh, when you get a great recruiter involved, you get a great candidate involved, oftentimes that, that person is making more than that range. And what happens is the expectations are not set properly because the information is not there on the front end. Both sides are disappointed, frustrated. It creates a huge hiccup in the process, oftentimes leading to starting over again. So I think the spirit of the law and the rule is in the right place. But unfortunately, I don't think the reality is, is that it's going to help. Right now, you can't even get references. We talked about this with the XVP HR striker was in. You're going to be hogtied on references. You can't ask for salary, and it's only a matter of time before a degree doesn't matter or it does matter. And then Because I can that. do the job. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my uh, producers give me the hairy eyeball because I can go on all day here. <laughs> 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 um, we have to do this again. Yeah. Right? I'm not supposed to say, but this is the Recruiting Mafia. I'm Joe Mullings. <laughs> Josh Hutchin. And Paula Rutledge. I'm Christina Kay, coming back in just to say goodbye. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Have a great day.